Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 14th August 2014. Have a listen please. Welcome dear listeners to this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. As always, this week I am here with you, Prem from Team Radio Sai and with me is Arvind and we are here to take you through this week's episode of Ramkata Raswaini. Shri Raghavam Dasharata Taking the name of the Lord brings such tranquility, such peace, such joy and such contentment in the heart. Prem, I was just going back to the point where we had stopped the narrative of the beautiful and sweet nectarine story of Lord Rama. Lord Rama and his brother Lakshmana along with the great sage Vishwamitra and his entire entourage of disciples, they are now headed towards Mithila in order to attend that grand yagna which King Janaka is performing. They are now traversing the forests and the plains and the different regions that come between these two kingdoms. It is a journey that is going to last several days. And on this journey, it is such a beautiful joy because whether they are aware or not, the disciples 
disciples are accompanying the Lord and the journey with the Lord is a totally different thing altogether. It can be compared, you know, when we think of how Swami was when he visited the Bandipur forests or the Madhumalai forests. Just you, the Lord and nature and nothing else. Often they say that being with the Lord is the greatest joy. The next greatest joy is being with nature. Imagine being with the Lord in nature. That is the joy that the disciples of Vishwamitra and sage Vishwamitra enjoyed as they walked along with Rama towards Mithila. And you know, when I was reading this, it felt so similar to Swami also because just like in this entourage, in Swami's entourage too, we would have people like Vishwamitra who are aware of Rama's divinity, who are wise, who are aware of the great opportunity that is being bestowed on them. At the same time, there would be a lot, number of people, many of us who like the disciples of Vishwamitra would be unaware of the great chance that is being you know bestowed on us. We enjoy it, no doubt. It is great fun. It is wonderful to accompany Swami on a trip in the forest. We are mesmerized. There is something magical about Swami. But do we realize the magnificent import of being with the Lord in Prakriti? But that is the beauty of Swami's presence. Whether we realize it or we don't, we are benefited by it and we share in that magic. We are enthralled with that magic. You know, it doesn't end surprising you how many little and very subtle lessons are there throughout the Ramayana. Mm. As you said, you know, we are lucky to draw parallels between what we read in the Ramayana and what we've lived with Swami. But even the narrative itself, you know, when you look at the Ramkatha Raswani as Swami has written it, you go through the other discourses where Swami has spoken about Ramayana. There are endless amount of details and each of those details gives such beautiful messages. We were talking about how Vishwamitra leaves that Siddhashrama and moves out and he says, I'm not going to come back after Mithil, I'm just moving ahead. Absolute detachment. You know, there Swami describes the scene. He says that citizens of that place start crying and then as Vishwamitra and all the other uh, you know ashramites along with Rama and Lakshmana head towards Mithila Swami says they are being followed by the wild animals in the forest Swami says that even they are not able to take the fact that Vishwamitra is not going to come back you know you look at it Swami explains this so beautifully this Vishwamitra who is nobody but that King Kaushika who was after that cow you know this whole journey started for him when he wanted to possess that cow when he wanted to say that I want this to be mine Hmm. being the king I have every right over this animal and that king you know has travelled this entire journey he has taken he's become a Brahmarishi and today when he says I'm going to leave this land and go the entire animal kingdom wants to follow him he says that we belong to you please don't leave us behind in fact Swami writes that Vishwamitra turns to them and tells you know that my love for you the special place that you occupy in my heart will always be there but there is a reason why you have been kept where you have been kept you will not be able to reside in the place that I am going which is a civilization which is human habitation and therefore it is safe it is good that you remain in the forest know for sure that your place in my heart is permanent he assuages their uh, sorrows and then he prays to them to stay back in the forest and that is how they proceed ahead after leaving that forest right and all through that journey there's so many little stories that's what we also mentioned the last time the lot of the upakatas which come in Ramayana especially in the Balakanda happen in that journey where Vishwamitra reveals a lot of stories to Rama and Lakshmana and in fact if we go through each of those 
stories it will take us as much time as it took rama and lakshmana to get to the kingdom of mithila because those many stories are there you know prem what i felt was reading some of the stories some of them swami has spoken later in his discourses giving us the inner meaning the significance and we are able to make sense otherwise these stories just remain as stories there are some other stories which i am sure if we meditate upon think about they are metaphors and they carry great meaning but i think in our satsang we shall stick to those stories for which swami has given us meanings and interpretations or stories for which we have been inspired in our heart with what possibly could be their inner significance because without that a story just remains certain names certain incidents which are possibly difficult to remember so i feel that we should stick to these kind of stories for which we have been inspired with meanings or for which swami has directly given what is the inner significance and stories which swami has often repeated as the important stories which come in this part of the ramayana and one of the most important ones and the ones which is very elaborately discussed there is the story of how ganges was brought down to the earth because as the journey progresses they are uh, you know pitching tent on the banks of river ganges and that's when rama asks vishwamitra do tell us the story of how this holy river came to be part of the earthly plane and that's when vishwamitra starts the story yes and uh, this is something very special that we follow in our bharatiya tradition it is called stala mahatyam or the significance of the particular place it is considered to be great and holy and wonderful if you are able to hear the story in the place of its occurrence just today morning you know one of our colleagues is getting married so it is being held in the patamandiram i was there for a brief interval and over there when we went to the patamandiram next to it is you know the place oh, where right. swami did bhajan from 1945 to 1950 now there i was speaking to two or three of my classmates and i was telling them do you know that this is the place that swami rested swami did bhajans and as i was describing the stories and the experiences of swami in the patamandiram the thrill on their face was entirely different trust me prem i have narrated these incidents and episodes several occasions apart from in the radio satsang here every time it does move the people but the kind of impact it was having on the people there when i was narrating on these three people it was almost spell binding and i feel that is the magic of the place narrating the story of swami's childhood in the place where he spent his childhood built some kind of magic which you just cannot create anywhere else it's almost like that and that is called stala mahatyam stala prabhavam and that was the reason why this story gains even more significance because it was being narrated on the banks of river ganga and the story is about river ganga in fact vishwamitra tells rama that rama do you know that your ancestors your great family is responsible for having brought down ganga no even before we go into that story uh-huh. just reminded of what uh, one of our visiting faculty once shared with us you know mm. this person is an expert in water treatment mm. he has done at least three or four theses in that and he has guided not less than 10 20 students who have done there this one in river treatment river water treatment and uh, river uh, rejuvenation and all that so i'm not wrong use one dr bhargava from a university somewhere in the north a very very accomplished scientist and he was telling that he has almost tested every water of every river in the world as oh, part in the of world? his thesis in okay. the world he said every famous river i have tested like and, the nile amazon right thames. everything you know thames and every other uh, big river which we all know today so then uh, one of the students asked him so what is so special about the ganga you know we give it such an important place what is so special about the ganga he 
obviously philosophically and mythologically there are many stories which go with it but i can tell you scientifically why the ganga is very special uh-huh. he was saying that every river has a certain uh, property to purify itself or you know kind of uh, cleanse, itself. cleanse itself and that is measured in after how many kilometers of the river front you find pure water after the river front has been polluted like suppose you have an industrial uh, exit into the river mm. it is said that after a certain kilometers the river water automatically purifies itself it has the ability to take in you know the whatever is the filth which is put in it and to purify itself and he said no river in the world has that ability as much as ganga has mm-hmm. and he said it's, it's such a sad thing that you know we don't recognize it and just a, we dump even more right you know little bit of manipulation and uh, deciding that where you can have your other things going into the river is just a little bit of planning that can actually revive that whole river but you were saying that it's a very very special property of the river and that is why it also has medicinal properties that is why even a dip in the ganga can even in a medical or physical level will benefit you a lot wow that's amazing to hear and uh, this is not the first time we see such things prem where things that are mentioned in the vedas and the scriptures it's just that their time has not yet come when the time comes you discover that it was already there so many things we are now going back to the roots and discovering i mean we see the case of the united states trying to patent things which are present in the ayurveda right now we give importance just because you know an outsider is giving importance we start giving importance to this ancient wisdom so to in the case of ganga and well you told the scientific reasoning and rationale behind the story itself is very very impressive there was this ruler emperor sagara of ayodhya and you know i'll just go through the story little quickly actually he had one wife by name keshini and since he couldn't get any progeny from keshini with keshini's permission just like emperor dasharatha did with kausalya's permission he takes permission of the queen keshini and marries a second queen called sumati and he doesn't get progeny from both the queens and that is when you know after years which turn into decades emperor sagara feels that he possibly is not blessed to have children he gives up all hope and when he is on the verge of despair that is when sage bhrugu comes to him and assures him that you don't worry you will have sons he gives special blessings you know again in this there is that important lesson to show that you know the blessings of elders is so important in what looked like a hopeless case of having no progeny the emperor is able to get progeny simply by the blessings of sage bhrugu so for a child listening to the story unknown to itself the child gets the feeling that you know what if i treat my elders with respect and regard i will be benefited it might appear like a selfish way to inculcate but that is the truth and that is what actually happens the elder may not like a sage the elder may not be a sage but an elder definitely is a medium and instrument for the grace of god to flow and that is what happened here in fact bhrugu asks both the queen would you like one supremely powerful supremely intelligent and you know very very good son or do you want multiple sons while keshini opts for the first option that is let me get one super strong super intelligent son sumati seeks multiple sons and that's what happens uh, within a few years sumati has hundreds of children while keshini has one son by the name ashwamanja ashwamanja turns out to be a very strong person and a very very intelligent person but he goes the wrong way he uses his intelligence and strength to torment and trouble others because of which king sagara banishes him from the kingdom interestingly the way swami writes it hmm. you know, he would get delight in going to the river bed with all his other co brothers you know the children of uh, sumati hmm. and just for the fun of it he would just pick them up and throw them in the water hmm. and he had drowned so many of his brothers in that manner and you know this goes to show 
again that though physical prowess and mental acumen and mental prowess is appreciated people look up to it if it is not used for others benefit people are ready to even do away sacrifice physical prowess and mental they say we don't want intelligent people we yeah. don't want strong people if you don't use it for good that is a powerful message that is embedded here because a person who is so intelligent a person who is so strong is just banished away into the forest where his strength and intelligence is of no use so that is what happens in the meanwhile ashwamanja you know he carries on with his life in the forest and he gets a son by name amshumanta and amshumanta happens to be a very virtuous and noble child if you see our scriptures it is filled with so many such apparent discrepancies you know which goes against genetics you see demons giving birth to virtuous children you see very noble people giving birth to children who become demons so you know this kind of virtue and vice though to some extent is modified by the environment in which the child grows it shows that there is something beyond genetics that decides parenthood or that decides the lineage and children and uh, that is where the soul comes in you know people often think a child is a body and a mind but a child is a soul because while you see the mind and the body being very similar between parents and children the soul and virtues or vices differ so much how can you otherwise explain hiranyakashipu a demon in every sense giving birth to prahlada who is almost god incarnate on earth so that really sets us thinking into you know how important it is to get a pious soul not just a healthy body and a good mind you know that's the beauty for us if we look at hiranyakashipu we say you are so lucky to get a son like prahlada but from his point of view he was actually cursing his fate to have got a son like prahlada because he said the entire kingdom is worshiping me as king but my own son says that vishnu is the only lord so if you look at it from hiranyakashipu's point of view he actually got a bad son hmm. so that is why you know going back to that thing of getting the blessings of elders it is not merely getting the boon of children not merely getting the, the boon of having a prosperous life there is so much to life which goes beyond words and beyond understanding and that is why if you look at even the indian tradition you know the way the indian wedding is performed mm. or that matter any wedding is performed why do we have this tradition of inviting so many people you know today we have gone to the thing of saying that whose wedding was more grander whose menu was more exhaustive more you know, exotic huh? you know, it goes to that but the, the very basic idea of that is you know here is a couple who is starting a new journey you want as many blessings as you can get and you get it by calling people and telling them that you are important for this event and all the hospitality you give is to show that importance to the guests who come and so that those guests wholeheartedly bless this couple because it is quite a, a rocky journey it's not easy and you know if you look at it every lineage which swami speaks about here any problem he kind of sources it to three four generations before hmm exactly and you know that is how important each journey of a you know married couple is and uh, you know prem coming to the other point which i was saying about not only viewing your child in the terms of body and the mind but also the soul it makes a huge difference in a practical sense also i was recently speaking to an alumnus from our university an alumnus who is you know way senior to us in his 50s he is not in india right now but you know whatever destiny has been such that he got children after a long time okay and when he got children there were sweet children sweet daughters and basically two children but within two years of their birth he got to know that they are autistic okay, okay so they are very sweet children but you know it, it's like almost normally you will consider it like oh god why me but he considers it like a great blessing in his life and it's not just for a show he sincerely believes and when you see him speaking about his children you will wonder whether sages have been born to him because that is how he addresses them he says you know what 
when you read all our scriptures when they speak of these uh, you know many children who were like born jeevan mukta they were born wise they had some purpose to achieve and they are born for 10 years they achieve it and they are gone we have read so many like that who have a halo around their head even at birth he says how do we distinguish such children in our scriptures though they describe as a halo around the head you actually don't see a halo it's just that they are absolutely detached from the world they are attached to nothing of the world because they are so deeply immersed in their own inner being that is how exactly my children are swami has blessed me so abundantly that he has given me a chance to serve two yogis what else can be greater fulfillment in my life and even as he says this he has tears of joy in his eyes which show you for sure that this is not some act that he is putting on or some dialogue that he is stating he sincerely believes in that and he is able to do it because he is able to see beyond the body and mind of his children and look at them as souls and it makes all the difference it makes a difference between considering somebody as disabled vis-a-vis considering somebody as a yogi and a special blessing that you have got to associate with them and i think in a sense it also shows one's selflessness because very often we look at our children as people who are going to take care of us in the future and that is why it's a disappointment when you get a child whom you will have to take care of all your life mm-hmm. you know the idea that i'm going to take care of him for 20 25 years and i'm not going to get anything in return at the end of it mm. and the security and that protection which you yeah. you seek in your old age from your children you're not going to get it but to feel that you know to give itself is such a great opportunity which has been given to me it really shows how selfless that person is coming back to the story what happens is sagara is very happy with amshumanta who is his grandson and sagara finally feels that here is a worthy successor because amshumanta is a paragon of all virtues he has all the strength he has all the mental capabilities he is wonderful and a perfect ruler that's what sagara feels and therefore sagara now feels that it is time ripe for a ashwamedha yagna and ashwamedha yagna if we describe the theory of it it is just like this basically you do a fire sacrifice at the end of which there is a horse that is let loose right and then it's a rule that wherever the horse goes whichever kingdom it wanders into that belongs to you if that is not to happen then the ruler of that kingdom better wage a war a fight with you and defeat you otherwise his kingdom will be won over by the person who is performing an ashwamedha yagna that is why only a select few would perform the ashwamedha yagna because it's not enough if you just have a horse and some sages you also need the might the army might to win over anybody who might stop the horse from wandering into their territory so it is only a king after reaching certain prowess and having allies and having a fame name riches everything then he performs the ashwamedha yagna to become the overlord of the entire earth that is how it is done at the end of that all the kingdoms in which the horse has roamed gets annexed into this kingdom and becomes one large country and the horse comes back and the horse is also sacrificed at the yagna at the ceremonial pit that is the ashwamedha yagna which sagara also undertook to perform interestingly we look at it many of these kings later we will come even rama when he is coronated he performs an ashwamedha yagna and we would see references to that even done by the pandavas yes in the mahabharata right there is a arjuna actually right. follows the horse exactly you know there is a little difference in this in the sense of it is not done in the idea of conquering a foreign land hmm. a king who is attained a certain stature as you said of fame and and credibility he says that i am the overlord you are still allowed to rule your country the country is still yours i am allowed to be the overlord in the sense i have the right now to come and correct you if i feel that you are not administrating or taking care of your citizens in the manner you should be doing it so a kind of a moral authority is what people like rama and all did it for it was not a sense of you know greed or trying to conquer or uh, exactly. annex it's uh, almost like in india now we 
have a central government with state right. governments. Exactly. So the central government is at the national level, you have the prime minister and his cabinet. Yes, you have multiple chief ministers with their cabinet, but all of them are subservient to the prime minister. Exactly. So it is more of a sense of bringing a central authority who will oversee the dispension of justice in the various kingdoms. And as we stated in the beginning, all these are very metaphorical. In fact, if you go to some Wikipedia page or somewhere and see Ashwamedha Yagna, they describe it in great physical detail. It may seem like, what is it that they are doing? You know, cutting the throat of a horse and this is bad. In fact, on many occasions, Swami has mentioned that when the scriptures mention an animal sacrifice, it is a metaphor for sacrificing the animal qualities within us. It is misunderstanding that leads you to actually sacrifice an animal. The Lord is not pleased if you cut the neck of a goat. But if you cut the neck of timidity in you or you cut the neck of anger within you, that is what pleases the Lord. So too, about the Ashwamedha Yagna, Swami says that horse is symbolic of the mind. Swami would often say that Ashwa yes. stands for the mind because the nature of the horse is it can fickle. never stand in fickle, It can never. In fact, that's why there are these many tongas or horse-drawn carriages that are still operating in some place in Mysore and I have right. seen it. If you see the horse cart, the horse to its eyes, they put some kind of blinders right. so that the horse can look only ahead. If they don't put those blinders, even white tonga horses, even these uh, show-jumping horses and other horses, they have a kind of blinder which makes them uh, have the ability to look only forward, not to the sides, not behind anywhere because the horses are very, very fecal animals. They get very uh, tempted and they get distracted. That's how it is said. So, that is how the mind is. The mind is, unless it is focused, unless you have blinders called focus, you are not able to achieve or move forward. You will keep moving up, down, left, right, in all directions with distractions. And that is how Swami compares mind to a horse. Now, letting go of the horse to wander freely and conquering all those lands where it wanders is symbolic to having the ability to fulfill everywhere that the mind roams. That is, whatever you desire, you are able to fulfill it. Achieving a level where you can fulfill whatever you desire. Imagine you have to be the most influential and most powerful and most wealthy person to have that ability to fulfill everything that the mind desires. That is to capture all the lands in which this horse called the mind roams about. But then, with that, the sacrifice is not considered complete. Because the sacrifice becomes complete and you become the overlord only when, at the end of it, though you have the capacity to fulfill everything or capture everywhere that this horse goes, at the end of it, you have to sacrifice the horse. You become the overlord only when you are able to sacrifice the mind and go beyond it. And that is what Swami means by saying, master the mind, be a mastermind. You have to be the master of the mind. You have to go beyond the mind. And then only will you be a true overlord. Then only will you have moral authority to correct all the other kings who are subservient to you. You know, there's a beautiful analogy which Swami would give when people ask Swami how to control the mind. Hmm. Swami would say, it's like a mother taking her child to the marketplace. Okay, And everything the child sees is excited. You know, everything which is open in the stalls, it goes around and says that I want this, I want this. So what the mother does is Swami says, she just keeps walking. So here and there the child would stop near a stall and try to create a scene, cry and say that I want it and all that. So the mother just keeps walking. So after a few steps the child realizes it's not going to get you know what it's crying for. So it just stops the play and runs after the mother. Swami would say similarly you know very often your mind and your senses will be after some things. Just ignore it. You know just ignore. Don't give importance even to the craving. So automatically your mind will come back to the place. You know in a sense what Swami is telling here about the Ashramita Yagna is letting the mind lose first of all. And if you just look at it very very uh, typically let us say that there is one kingdom which is catching your horse and saying that I will not let it go. It is almost 
almost like there is one aspect of life where your mind has got conquered to or your mind has become enslaved to that particular aspect of life so you put in a lot of effort to get your mind out of that particular thing which is the mind has got attached to so you do this with different things in life but at the end you say that no you are controlling the mind but eventually you have to come to a state where you are annihilating the mind completely which is what swami would often call amanaska the state where you are beyond the mind and without a mind and you know the horse has to finally return back to the kingdom where it started this is a concept that has been glorified and sung about many times also if you remember swami vivekananda song chalo man jaye ghariye apne oh mind let us return back to the home from which we have come so all these find fulfillment and metaphorical meaning in this ashwamedha yagna so sagara performs the ashwamedha yagna and the yagna is unable to get completed because the horse is missing and nobody is able to find where the horse has gone and king sagara you know lashes out to all his children saying that you know you are hundred of you hundreds of you and you are not able to keep track of where the horse is i mean if you just look at all these dialogues in a metaphorical sense it is so beautiful i mean what is the use of your strength what is the use of your apparently noble birth being born as children of a king if you can't keep track of your own mind you know it is all so metaphorical but from now on we stop dilating on the metaphors and we continue the story so that people can interpret the metaphor in their own minds so he says you can't keep track of the horse where is the horse so the hundreds of sons set out in search for the horse and they finally find this horse peacefully grazing in the hermitage of sage kapila right. again another beautiful metaphor <laughs> the mind is at rest and at peace in the company of sages you know and the beautiful thing is it's not kapila is lost in meditation he is sitting there it's just that the horse has gone in you know found the place near him just drawn by that peace which exactly surrounding it's not as if kapila has captured, captured the horse, the horse or or it's just that he has captured the mind they say right you know when you say somebody has captured your imagination or captured your mind he or she need not call you to them you will automatically get drawn that is what has happened here drawn to the peace and beauty of the hermitage the horse is there but since these children these hundreds of sons are angry and restless they are unable to understand this an angry mind is a sure shot way to doom because it makes you lose your sense of discrimination that is what krishna says in that bhagavad gita shloka that is what happens here also they think that the sage has actually caught hold of the horse and the sage is challenging their might so they start raising a ruckus and with their weapons come to attack the sage kapila is calm in his meditation he just opens his eyes and looks at them and in an instant they are all burned to ashes and all the sons of emperor sagara are burnt to dust and how do they come to know of this because ashwamanja's son amshumanta that is the grandson of emperor sagara comes in search of his uncles and he gets to know what has happened here and he goes back taking the horse because sage kapila does not want the horse in any way and he takes back the horse to king emperor sagara and right and then and they conclude the sacrifice but that is when he also breaks the news of all of sagara's sons being killed in this uh, untimely manner because often according to the indian uh, tradition you're supposed to do those obsequies of any past soul you do it by submersing the ashes or what you call asti of those people in a holy river mm. but the predicament they have here is there are hundreds of sons and they believe the sin of going and inciting sage as pure as kapila was also a very very immense Big sin. sin and multiple times it has been committed because right. each son has committed that sin so now they are in a fix as to how to perform these rites so that these souls can be released the solution given is that it is only mother ganga who will be able to purify and wash away these sins just to give a background ganga is the daughter of king himavan 
whom we respect today as the Himalayas. And you know, Himavan's son-in-law is Lord Shiva. Because that also happened because he had two daughters, they say. One is Ganga, one is Uma. While uh, he offered Ganga to the heavens. Because, you know, it is said that a virtuous woman brings prosperity wherever she sets foot. And symbolic of that, in order to ensure prosperity on earth and in the heavens, it is said that King Himavan offered his daughter Ganga to the heavens and his daughter Uma to the earth as a wife to Lord Shiva, to Rudra. And so... Now, Ganga is in the heavens and uh, this kind of sin uh, that has been committed by the sons of Sagara requires the river Ganges, the river Ganga to flow on them. And once this is known, King Sagara starts his penance for Mother Ganga to descend. And uh, Swami writes that till his old age, he is unable to achieve it. And with his passing away, Amshumanta becomes the emperor and Amshumanta tries his best. He grows old. He makes his heir Dilipa as the emperor and he passes away. Dilipa Dilipa too ties and Dilipa also is unable to succeed right. and he installs his son Bhagiratha on the throne of Ayodhya and he passes away and then comes the hero of our story that is Bhagiratha. Right and Bhagiratha is the one who finally gets the, the boon but before we come to that maybe we'll just take a short break we've gone through it right in the middle of this program so we'll take a short break we'll play out a nice bhajan for you dear listeners at the end of it we'll continue the story of how Mother Ganga was brought to the earth. Jagadashraya Sri Rakhurama Oh, 
Welcome back, dear listeners. We are in the middle of the story of Bhagiratha and how he managed to get Mother Ganga down to the earth. As we said, three or four generations of people had tried before that. Before him, his father Dilipa tried. Before Dilipa, it was Amshamanta who tried. Before Amshamanta, it was Sagara, the father of the many sons. He tried. But now, finally, Bhagiratha. And he also was a successful king. He led his kingdom well. But I think everybody in that lineage had this feeling of incompleteness till they achieved this task of bringing down Mother Ganga so that they can release their great-grandfathers from this sin they had got themselves into. And so, Bhagiratha does severe penance. He hands over the kingdom to a proxy who can take care in his absence. And he, he also doesn't have children, right? And yes. That is also a thing. That's why he hands it over to a proxy. Right. So, he doesn't have a children and he gets engaged into penance. And in fact, if we Google for images of Bhagiratha, you will not see a person decked in armor as a king. You will see a person with a long beard and mustache like a sage. Because Bhagiratha is known more as a sage than as a king. Mm-hmm. Because that is what he did. He did penance throughout his life. Again, another thing to show that a person becomes a Brahmin and Kshatriya not by birth, but by the actions and by the aptitude. So, Bhagiratha prays and the creator, Lord Brahma, agrees and grants him a boon and tells him that you can indeed get Mother Ganga to earth. But you know, there is one slight problem. As Ganga is a torrential river, a magnificent, huge, as she descends from the heavens onto earth, the earth will not be able to bear the brunt, bear the impact of her fall. And therefore, you should possibly request Lord Shiva to break the fall so that she enters earth as a gentle stream, as a river in a leisurely flow, not come cascading down and hit the earth. And therefore, while I am ready to ensure that Ganga is sent from heavens to the earth, please pray to Lord Shiva and and ensure his blessings that he will receive it properly. And uh, the suggestion which is given is of course that Ganga flows through the locks of Shiva so that you know Shiva takes the main impact of that torrential flow and then Ganga as you said you know flows as a very gentle and life-giving river in the earth. So Bhagiratha prays to Lord Shiva and Lord Shiva agrees to bear 
and as ganga entered the matted locks of lord shiva he tied them back and then as a little spring he allowed her to pop out and this we can see in many depictions many paintings of lord shiva that he is gangadhari we sing the bhajan juta jata mein gangadhari that is what is lord shiva and from his matted locks you can see one spring jumping out that is right. mother ganga and this the earth is able to bear enters they it from seven streams akladini nalini pavani pavani these flow to the east subikshu sita and sindhu flow to the west flow to the west in the seven stream for the sindhu is is the river indus and right. it is said that uh, the place where indus flows is industhan or hindustan that is how india gets its name hindustan and indus is indeed a west flowing river don't know the other rivers but there are three east flowing three west flowing and one stream which follows bhagiratha as he walks through ayodhya and his going to that place where the ashes of his yes. great grandfathers are lying are lying and that is what we know as ganga and in fact you know ganga where it originates in in gangotri so gangotri which is uh, the place of birth of mother ganga right and there is this cave called gaumuk which is shaped like the mouth of a cow, cow. from where ganga emerges there ganga is known as bhagirathi bhagirathi literally translates into daughter of bhagiratha and because bhagiratha was responsible for the descent of ganga the uh, ganga there is called bhagirathi and just one aside point mm-hmm. you know the ganga emerges from the himalayan snow capped regions right and that place is called gangotri where the indian station is there in antarctica it's in the south pole mm-hmm. it is similar to this region you know snow filled and ice that's why they call it dakshin gangotri or the gangotri of the south right Okay so and that's how Bhagirathi flows and flows over the ashes and redeems apart from that he also wins a boon you know Bhagiratha wins a boon that he will have children he will have progeny who will take care of his lineage right. and also his kingdom and this again you know is a metaphor to show the importance of a noble and virtuous soul a noble and virtuous soul in the family can redeem not only himself but also his past and the future that is what happened with bhagiratha not only is bhagiratha blessed his ancestors all those great grandfathers and grandfathers who were burnt to ashes they were also redeemed his future also got redeemed because he got the divine assurance and promise that he will have virtuous children who will take care of the kingdom and i think his future was more than redeemed because in that very same ikshvaku clan was born lord rama and even as vishwamitra was narrating this entire episode he says that your ancestors are the ones who are responsible for bringing this divine river onto earth and that's how he narrates this entire story and the story is on the banks of river ganga as we said it brings me back to one more practical point what you were speaking about how Uh, you know pollution of the ganga takes place it is something that we ought to keep in mind and do our best because almost every home has this little sealed pot of ganga we call it ganga amrit and in our shrine also in our altar at home also there is this little copper pot which is sealed which is filled with ganga water and usually you know in every home it is kept because in case of a sudden death you know everybody cannot be geographically close to the ganga it is this ganga water that is poured into the mouth of a dying person or a person who has passed away because it is said that it ensures progress for the soul now when we worship ganga as such in our altars is it not a kind of hypocrisy when we left and right and blatantly pollute mother ganga it really pains and uh, that is why it is wonderful that there are talks about cleaning up of the river ganga we can only pray and hope and try to con- 
contribute our might in whatever way possible so that this river that spiritually cleanses us is kept clean physically and even as we are talking about ganga and how shiva is called ganga dhari because of accepting the torrential flow on himself before he allowed it to flow on earth hmm. reminded of a wonderful incident which one of the devotees once shared you know he had this uh, desire to do pad puja for swami in that very traditional sense you know, he wanted to do an elaborate pad puja so what he would do is he carried in a bag you know a plate with all those things which you need the kumkum the haldi chandan chandan hmm. everything and a small container of ganga water so he said that any time when swami says okay you do it now you should be prepared so he would always come for darshan with that bag and many times he had prayed to swami that swami i want to do swami so said i'll give you a chance i'll so give you this must be the times before the security stepped in uh, no it was quite recently this devotee had the access to swami oh okay so he could carry it. so he could carry it around he was sitting in the portico so many times he asked and swami would say that i'll give you a chance and as we all would expect it swami i think called him one day when he was not as prepared as he was on the other occasions and swami called him inside the interview room and you know he was in such a hurry pulled out all those things and he was trying to do that then finally when he brought out the small container with ganga water swami looked at him very quizzically and asked what is that you know all these other things are fine but what is that small container you got so he said swami this is ganga water this is ganga jal i wanted to do you know pad puja with this and swami laughed at him he said ganga water do you want to do pad puja for me swami said it is in my head mm-hmm. swami said it is on my head so this devotee he just smiled and you know he said thank you swami it's a revelation you know in the sense of swami is accepting his divinity openly then swami looked at him and said you don't believe it is really there you don't believe swami yes he said no swami not like that and swami bent down and swami said touch and that devotee you know one side the chance of touching swami's hair but when he felt swami's hair he could see that swami's hair was wet oh. you know there was a dampness in the hair and swami said ganga is there on my head you know there was an experience which he had and he had come and shared with us wow. you know just a small incident but it's in such small incidents that swami reveals what he is right <laughs> naturally definitely and uh, it's late in the evening when the story is narrated of ganga and they take rest on the banks of ganga the next day they have to resume their journey and swami writes that when they move ahead they come across a valley and a beautiful city that is seen at a distance and rama again asked you know what is the story behind this beautiful city and vishwamitra says that it takes quite some time it appears as if it's close it's quite far i'll tell you the story and again i think he insists that he will tell the story when we reach there uh-huh. because he says it's quite a distance and it's going to be by tomorrow evening by the time we reach there and once we reach there i'll tell you the story of that place and again emphasizing on being there when you listen to the story or the history of that place and reaching there he tells the story which is famously called as sagara manthanam or samudra manthan in our bharatiya culture the story of the churning of the ocean sage kashyapa had two two wives, wives diti and aditi, aditi. and diti is considered as the mother of all the asuras that is the uh, demons demons and uh, aditi is considered as the mother of all the suras or the devas or the demigods if we can say so now i'm not going to go into the story of exactly what happened and the details because that's available but definitely i would like to go into the beautiful meaning that swami has given for this whole sagara manthanam if i am not wrong this is from a discourse that swami delivered on the 13th of january in 1965 Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's 11th or 13th but January 1965 you know what happened in Sagara Manthanam just quickly refreshing it all the devas and all the danavas the demons and the demigods they want to get amrit from the ocean from the kshira sagara so they get mount mandar as the uh, churning rod and they use vasuki the snake as the rope and the head end of the rope that is of snake vasuki is held by the demons the asuras and the tail end is held 
killed by the devas and they churn it in fact in the mythology when we read it goes that the demons they say that we are not lowly we will not hold the tail we want the head we want the crest so they don't realize when they hold because of the churning process the snake vasuki spews out a lot of poison a poison which starts fuming and it makes the ocean of milk that is kshira sagara makes it poisonous and that is why lord shiva has to come and take the hala hala poison and that is why you know he is called nilakant because parvati comes and holds his throat so that the poison doesn't go into his body it all remains in his throat and his throat becomes blue the blue throated one is nilakant that is what happens then as a result of the churning many things happen one is dhanva antari or the god of health and medicine comes the apsaras come right in between after that uh, hala hala is spewed out they find that this mountain which is being used as a churning rod huh. is sinking because it doesn't have any base and even as they're churning it it sinks and that is when lord vishnu comes and takes the form of a tortoise that uh, is the story of the kurma avatar right and he becomes the base of that churning rod and he supporting the mount mandar on his back and the churning is going on and as the churning goes on and then swami says that a kind of juice rasa is exuded Nectar. that rasa solidifies and becomes a solid ball which cracks open to give rise to many beautiful maidens and damsels and since these damsels came from the rasa they are called as the apsaras and these are the apsaras then sura the intoxicating drinks come and so many things so many things come out amrit or the secret for immortality is the one that comes last right and now this is the story it has such deep inner meaning and i think you know one of the main things that swami says is even in this narration even in ramkatha swami swami says be what comes out whether it's good or bad or pleasant or unpleasant the asuras and suras are not getting distracted by what comes out because they say when you laid your sight on the amrit ultimate. the ultimate you don't stop till that comes and you know swami has many times explained i think that is what swami told in that discourse exactly it is so beautiful swami assigns a role to each of these things swami says that mount mandar which is a churning rod is actually a mind mm-hmm. and now if we look at swami's discourse many times you know swami says mind is a key for either liberation or bondage you turn it right you get liberation you turn it wrong you get bondage so mind is the churning rod in the kshira sagara the ocean of milk swami says is nothing but the ocean of sattva guna sattva guna is sattvic qualities or virtues so you have to be virtuous and churn with the mind and the snake vasuki swami says are the senses mm-hmm. the danavas is the bad the devas is the good swami says that the senses get pulled by the good one side get pulled by the bad one side that is what happens right they don't have any uh, choice of their own exactly the, the senses just the get attracted to yes but they are anchored onto the mind the mind is in the center one side is good pulling one side is bad pulling and the mind will sink will sink unless support comes to you in the form of god's grace mm-hmm. which swami says is the kurma avatar the kurma avatar is god's grace that is god's grace because that is god so god supports your endeavor to churn and swami says you know poison will come health issues will come you know krishna also says in the bhagavad gita that people approach me for wealth for health for wisdom it is even a gnani but one who approaches me for me alone attains me that is what happens when this churning goes on so many things are achieved so many things come out both good and bad but it is left to us not to get distracted by any of this 
till the ultimate goal of amruta amruta means immortality immortality is achieved only in union with god becoming one with god so we have to keep our focus on our goal alone not get distracted by anything that comes out from the churning of the mind and then finally this is another metaphor to show that the mind is just an instrument it is not a goal in itself right. the mind is a means to achieve the goal once amruta is got nobody cares for either the snake or the mount mandar this swami explains beautifully unfortunately we don't have the audio of the discourse in 1965 but it is recorded in satisai speaks i think again as i said 13 january this is what he mentions in the discourse about the inner significance of sagaramantanam and of course after this comes the incident of you know the amrita has come out and there is a fight which breaks out between these two uh, asuras and the suras as to who will partake of that nectar first and that is when another incarnation of lord vishnu happens where vishnu comes in the form of mohini and he kind of uh, hoodwinks he could say the demon clan and then he gives the amrita to the devas and that again is explained in many places as you know the lord comes and says that immortality is not worthy to be given to somebody who is not morally upright because it will be misused and that is why he says that it should be given to the pious you can never seek to be immortal if you are immoral that's why swami says removal of immoralities is the only way to immortality and that is what vishnu also does there he removes the immorality that is the asuras don't get even a drop to drink in fact the story goes ahead that one asura secretly right. comes and drinks and because of which vishnu leaves the discuss which cuts him into two parts one becomes rahu one becomes ketu i mean that again it goes into stories we can keep going because it's never ending but one thing we have to remember is all this is metaphorical and all this has such powerful message just like the one we now recounted about how removing immorality is the way to immortality in fact i remember when i joined mba mm-hmm. swami that year in almost all his discourses kept emphasizing only on daiva priti papa bhiti sanganiti means he was saying that sanganiti that is morality in society he used to say that that is the only way out in the world today if you want to solve the problems of the world you need sanganiti and he would say in order to have sanganiti that is morality in society you need papa bhiti that is fear of sin and in order to have fear of sin you need daiva priti love for god and so swami would say that you start off your journey by having love for god you know it is so beautiful because that connects and shows how the way to solve the problems in the world today is via loving god you start loving god and you see problems in the society disappearing because daiva priti leads to papa bhiti papa bhiti leads to sanganiti sanganiti solve the problems in the society and i think it's a smooth progression into the next story which comes which is a very very important story and a story which is very significant in the entire ramayana itself when they move forward and they come to another hermitage or an abandoned hermitage which vishwamitra explains is the erstwhile ashrama of the gautama, gautama. Hmm. and uh, goes on to explain how gautama had a very very beautiful wife and uh, her name was ahalya and when gautama was once away lord indra comes in the form of gautama and you know makes ahalya believe that it is her lord and then at that time gautama returns and finds that his wife has been disloyal to him and that is when he curses her and says that you shall become a rock and that's how the story goes but then he realizes that it's no fault of hers and, you know it's just been a trick which has been played on her so he says but i've cursed you i cannot take it back and then he says that many many years later the son of dashratha lord rama who is nobody other than the incarnation of vishnu he will come and when his feet touches you you will be revived and then i will also come back and i will accept you it's strange right may that this indra causes so much havoc and nobody seems to be cursing him <laughs> 
See, when you hear this story, you feel it's so unfair for Ahalya. She has been loyal to Gautama all her life. And here she doesn't even know that it's Indra. She just felt it is Gautama and treated him like Gautama. And she's being cursed. I feel stories like this exist in our scriptures just to show that sometimes life is not apparently fair at every single point in time. That's why that song is there, right? When life seems so unfair and no one seems to care, say his name, see his form, hold on. You know, yeah, life will be unfair at times. But the magical thing is, Swami says, Dharmo Rakshati Rakshita, if you have been true and good, your goodness and truth will protect you. That is what happened because a curse for Ahalya turned out to be a boon. You know, what was Ahalya's curse? A curse on Ahalya was that you will get an opportunity to take Rama's Pad Namaskar. Ah, how I would love to have such a curse. I curse you, Arvind, that you will not enjoy anything in life till the day comes when you will get Swami's Padnamaskar. Wow! Isn't that a curse that we would love to have, Prem? And that shows that though life is unfair, your goodness definitely comes to protect you. Unfairly, you might have got a curse, but since you have been good and dharmic, the curse in itself becomes a blessing. And interestingly, you know, that's what Swami explains, that she doesn't turn or transform into a stone, mm-hmm. as uh, most stories tell us. Mm. Swami says that the curse which Gautama actually gives her is you shall be inactive and inanimate you will uh-huh. sit here and repent for this mistake you have done till the point when the Lord comes and redeems you so it, it is, is just a like camouflaged right. penance it's like she is in penance she uh-huh. cannot break that penance till she gets that boon that's almost the so called curse that she gets but I think we just listen to that description which Swami gives about you know how this whole episode happened I think in the year 1996 21st of May when Swami is talking about the Ramayana the entire Samukos was on Ramayana the place where Swami speaks about how Ahalya was redeemed and Swami gives a very beautiful inner significance even of that and we listen to that. Vishwamitra started narrating the details of the forest. This is the place where Vamana was born. This is the place where Vamana Vishwamitra started telling about Narayana, God himself. While telling like that, they reached Gautama's hermitage. It's Ahalya-shapa. We say that Ahalya has given a curse that she should be a stone. Though she appears to be a stone, but she is alive. It is their secret there. Because she remained all the time at one spot, because the dust around, she looked like a stone. But Rama who is all knowing, know this fact. Though he knows everything, he started pretending as if he does not know. By the time they reached there, he said, Lakshmana, let us take rest for Vishwamitra also accepted to this They were approaching this He did not step over there. The vibrations of the lotus feet were approaching the moment. Immediately there was movement. And she caught hold of the feet. Rama was pretending as if he was surprised. Rama knows. She knows. But he has to move like a human. I should not look like God. 
He had the strong determination. Veda vedye pare pumse jate dasharatatmaji. Nen dasharatuni kumaruni antu nadekani. Nen Sri Ramachandruni. Nen Mahavishnu Swaroopni. Ekkar gula chappatam leenu. He always said that I am son of Dasharatha. He never said I am Sriman Narayana. He never said that I am Sri Ramachandra. Tan bhagavatuni ane twenty divoka rushulku matam tappa. Yavariki telidu. Only sages know this. But he is God. No one else. Lakshmanke Ramanu kuda telsunu. Lakshmana Rama know this fact. Kani ippudu dini niya matramu bahiranga parchakoddu. But this should not be known to others. Mochina kaariyam jarigeyan tavareku kudanu ee rahasyanni atte daachukovali ani. Until the task is fulfilled this has to be secret has to be maintained. Tan endu kosam vachadu? Why did he come? Saadhu samrakshanaarthamai vachadu. To protect the pious people. Saadhu ante evaru? Who are pious people? Sanyasi vesham isukunnatundi vaalla saadhuvulu. You mean saadhu maanavuni endunnatundi saaduttamani itundi dani samrakshinche kosam. to protect the pious quality within man andvalli paritranaya sadhunam annadu so he said that you will protect the pious people andari endukodunu sadhutvam untundadi there is that pious quality in all aa sadhutvam appudappudu vidrumbinchi sometimes it will krutvanga vahinchi sometimes it perverts manavatvanni maripimpa chestundi and it turns into cruelty and makes you forget the human quality kalugane manavatvanni gnappiki cheppinche nimittamai to me to remind the human quality samarinchi sadutvani samrakshistu vastuntadu therefore to remind the human quality the pious nature has to be protected this my duty ani ramulu cheptu vachadu rama started telling that to me lopal ahalya aneka vidamuluga kodana paritapam pondutu tannu chaminchamani tannu anugrahinchamani prarthistu vachindi in the meantime ahalya started repenting she prayed for pardon and for grace aa samayaniki తపస్సులకైనటువంటి without seed there cannot be tree kanukane ivanni kudunu manchike jarugutuntayi so all things happen for our good edi jarigina mana manchi kosamani whatever might happen is for our own good ee satyanni prapanchaniki chaatutu vachadu this truth is taught to the world ramulu sarvamu telisinappudikini emi teliyinattu manavuniga sancharistu vachadu though rama is all knowing he pretended as if he doesn't know akkada gautamunni kodala cherchukoni and the company vela puraniki cheyaru so that was the description which swami gave and you know the beautiful thing why this episode is so significant in the ramayana is swami says that this is the first episode where rama actually reveals his divinity you know all through he is only coming out as a very brilliant human being and a great warrior great warrior but this is the first time he was saying that he is more than human and even in that he tried his best to convince everybody that he was just a human just a prince son of dashratha as swami was saying but you know very beautifully swami is saying that this is the very purpose for which god comes to foster that goodness which is in each person not the sadhus among men and women but sadhutvam or that goodness which is in each one i think prema there is no better message than this to conclude our satsang with swami so beautifully says that whatever happens is for the good and the lord is always there to sustain any goodness and that should be the motivation and inspiration for us to be good because we will be sustained and fostered by the lord we would like to bring this satsang to a close as always 
always offering our gratitude and prayerful prostrations at the lotus feet of our dear Swami and our pranams to Lord Hanuman who is ever present wherever the glory of Lord Sri Rama is sung. He is ever present there inspiring us so that we can aspire to become a devotee like him. With this, Sairam, thank you. Sairam, you just heard an episode of our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 14th August 2014. Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashanthi Nilayam.